Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Because I've developed this perceptual capability over the years. I mean, I can see anxiety, I see depression, I see insomnia, but I, more than anything, I just see this collective numbness i dream of the day that i can walk down the street in london and see the majority of people actually in a really good place and once that day happens i'll retire but until that day i'm just gonna keep dishing out mantras as much as i can hello and welcome to the not perfect podcast my name is poppy jamie a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app happy not perfect like the app This show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform let's crack on with the show on today's show we have will williams a meditation teacher and founder of bija meditation he is an incredibly special guy who has really changed things for me since we recorded this episode i've always struggled with meditation if i'm being honest and will transformed my experience of it He makes it easy. And yes, meditation can be easy thanks to Will. I hope you enjoyed today's chat. And if you'd like to know more about Will and his meditation courses, have a look at the show notes. Will, it is so excellent to have you here. With every interview, we start off with three questions. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to fire them at you. Okay. What is your favorite quote at the moment? I'd have to say it's always going to come back to one by Albert Einstein, which was... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You can't solve problems from the same state of consciousness that created them. And that has been my ultimate driving force of my endeavor to help people in the world ever since. 
I could not give you more of a hearty yes to that quote. I say it all the time. <laughs> and it's so true on a larger scale, on, yeah. a, on our own individual life scale. If we don't change anything. We're just doing the same thing. Exactly. And it just it gets so boring just going around in circles and feeling stuck and wondering why you're stuck. And it's because there is this deeper experience that you could and should be having which will enable you to break free of all of that stuff that's holding you back. And then if you aggregate that across a world of 7 billion people, it's mm. like, wow, that's transformation right there. It is. And also, I think that's an interesting point you you make, um, which is we can do it this at an individual level, but actually we need to all be doing this for each other too to really create that shift. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a dream to even consider that possibility. I guess I've arrived at a slightly more pragmatic vision, which is actually probably if 5% of us get our asses into gear and really uplift our consciousness, that rising tide will lift all ships. And to be honest, everyone will be able to hang on that 5% coattails. And then actually that's possible, that's achievable between me, you and all of the other good folks out there trying to do good. I reckon we can do it. Um, what is the most recent life lesson you've been reminded of recently? About two evenings ago, I was in a restaurant and um, I remembered the art of staying open hearted without giving a fuck, even though it might be something that's important to you. To give it a bit of context, when Will walked into the room, he was telling me about this life lesson, not knowing I was going to ask him that question. And it really was incredibly relevant to me. So I would love to for us to kind of unpack that a bit. Open hearted and also not giving a shit, which I love. How on earth did you do that? Like what was going through your mind? So the context of it was me chasing a girl who's been playing quite hard to get for various personal reasons. And um, I'm usually fairly nonchalant about most things these days and that's one of the things that meditation helps you develop is a willingness to flow with whatever comes but romance is something that has that tendency to draw you in and <sighs> of course you actually really you, you do give a shit yeah. and you you really have such a strong preference for a particular outcome so as I started to realize maybe this is not where it's flowing and I'm off to India for six weeks on Monday so it's kind of it was now or never and I found myself pulling back but I also found that my heart was closing as a protection mechanism and I just thought no that's not how I roll anymore so I thought right I am going to keep my heart wide open but I'm just not going to care anymore I went to hang out with this girl and I was just there just being completely in that lovely, loving, open-hearted, carefree place, uh, but without having any agenda or desire for anything other than just to have fun. And it was just magic. And I was like, right, I'm just going to live from this place for the rest of my days because this is the sweet spot. And it's because we do have such a tendency, and I've actually just done this quite recently, where you kind of close up, your ego takes over, yep. you're pissed, <laughs> you're sending like like messages that just have a subtext. And when you told me that story, I was like, it kind of gave me this breath of like, you're right. Like, why do we do this? You know, you can still remain strong and open hearted. Yeah, you totally can. Um, and it's interesting 
from the male perspective because no matter how much we talk about gender equality and all this sort of stuff it is generally down to the man to do the initiation i mean it just seems to be the part of the masculine makeup. energy yeah, energy and, and women can have that masculine energy but yeah the masculine energy the masculine energy is what drives that and of course yes if i was full of feminine energy then i would possibly be more receiving that type of mm. thing but the simple fact is i am quite masculine and therefore mm. i find myself drawn into initiating and making that approach and hopefully as i get older i get a little bit more elegant about it and a bit more i don't know i think as a greater appreciation of the feminine as i grow older and i understand that there is this very subtle dance that needs to take place and you can't just go crashing in there with your <laughs> masculine desire just to try and make it happen in one night and um so i've been enjoying playing with that but of course because there is this polarity and it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest polarities on earth, you are there sometimes a little bit frustrated by the fact that the other one seems to have exactly the opposite tendency towards you and you're just wondering, my God, wake up. Okay, brilliant, brilliant life lesson. Lots to take away there. How do you define happiness? I tend to default to the word fulfilment a little bit more, but the best model that I have encountered is actually the ancient Vedic model from the Himalayan region of um, India, which is they have this concept of prayer and this concept of sukha. And prayer is the short-term spikes of happiness that you feel. When they go, you keep chasing the next one and the next one and the next one. And I feel that we live in a world that is just on an absolute prayer trip. They're just mm. constantly mm. chasing that next spike high. Sukha is the background baseline level of fulfillment that you feel in your life and one of the things that I've discovered for myself and I see it in all the people that I work with is that their sukha value goes up and up and up and up the more they meditate and when you're feeling good you just make better decisions for yourself yeah. and you're a nicer person you're kinder you're more compassionate you're more unconditional in your loving which is so important because actually I think most of the love that's out there is sadly conditional. Mm. And so my definition would be more along the lines of this sukha principle, which is your background baseline level of fulfillment, because that's what you can rely on. That's solid and that you don't have to fear disappearing. Whereas when you hit those spike highs, there's always that nagging sense that what goes up must come down and yeah. makes you a bit desperate. Okay, so this kind of nicely leads us into how do you raise that baseline of fulfillment? So it means that you're less on this kind of roller coaster of ups and downs. So that's actually why I've ended up teaching meditation is because for me, it's the cornerstone of the whole endeavor. It's so difficult to make exercise regimes stick and mm -hmm. to change patterns because it's all coming Everything's about trying to change the output. That's what most habit-forming exercises are about. But actually, if you want to really transform your life, then it's about helping to reconfigure your identity and specifically what you identify with. And what really good meditation does is it takes you to a place where you break beyond any of your egoic identifications with all these little storylines in your life and it helps you actually experience yourself as something so incredibly vast and expansive 
that you identify with more of the universal. So then you end up with this really sweet blend of, yeah, there's you, the individual who has your needs and wants and personalities. And then there's you, the the universal heart and soul that drives you through life without even realising it. And once you discover more of that place, you start to feel a sense of belonging, like you've come home. There's now much more meaning in your life, which takes away so many of those existential anxieties which drive you towards self-sabotage behaviours. And you start valuing yourself more. And so then you start making healthy decisions for yourself because you no longer feel the need to burst your own bubble because you don't feel deserving of the goodness. And meditation can do all that. (laughs) Yes, it can. It really can. (laughs) Okay, so I think that, again, nicely leads me into how did you discover meditation and how do we discover meditation? Like, I found it challenging. It's mm. challenging. I think we'll get into a place where more and more people are hearing about it, but it still seems maybe a little bit out of reach for many, definitely including myself. So yes. I'd love to know your journey to it and kind of also also your tips of how we can get into it. I was very far away from this world. I was partying in the music industry and I was fairly talented at being very debauched. So <laughs> I have got some serious memories and if I ever write my life story, it's going to be very colourful. But, you know, those highs, this was a classic prayer existence, actually. My life was full of those spike highs that mm. were just legendary. But then I had all of the crashes mm. and the crashes were the things that people didn't really see. And as I got older and I say older, like mid to late 20s, the highs weren't quite as high anymore and the lows were lower and longer Mm. and I was beginning to think is this all my life has come to and I wasn't sleeping hadn't really slept properly for about seven years and because I'm a very solutions oriented guy I was like okay fine well what can I do about this and I went to Harley Street and saw a hypnotherapist I did reflexology I did yoga I did all of these fun things but I was still not sleeping and feeling stressed and feeling anxious and tired all the time. And then I was out in Shoreditch House, actually, back in the day, and uh, I got introduced to a a friend of a friend. And we were getting on like a house on fire, and he just started bending my ear about this meditation thing. I was like, really? You're in this lovely suit, and you're this really cool guy, and you're getting absolutely leathered on absinthe, so you're definitely good in my book. (laughs) (laughs) But you're also doing this meditation thing. And he's like, yeah, man, and all my friends are doing it and all the ones who had insomnia don't. I was like, hmm, all right. But it was interesting because I tried everything. This was really my last roll of the dice. And I think there was that slight part of me that was scared that if I give this a go and it doesn't work, then I'm absolutely rogered. Mm. So I sat on it for a couple of months and then in the end I just thought, you know what, I've got to do it. And I did. Within two weeks insomnia gone wow much nicer person suddenly was friendly to strangers for the first time in my life which i found very bizarre and all these other good things i became hyper productive i was getting my workload done two hours earlier every day it's like yes so it it was very practical to begin with and then as time went on i started to feel invincible and fearless and traveling on a slightly different plane and then i went on a retreat and did this immersive weekend and then I felt 
that was my first experience of universal love. And I felt complete love for everyone and everything in the universe. Wow. And it was so pure, so exquisite. And I was like, wow, this is like way better than any drugs I've ever done. <laughs> and I feel normal and I feel functional. And um, I guess that was the start of me really feeling that this needed to be explored. I'm quite a curious cat. And so over the next year or so, I went around Europe trying all these different things and seeing what was out there and eventually went to India, one-way ticket, spent three years traveling the world, met all of these big masters. And wow. They were really cool. Like for some reason, they took me under their wing and I became several big masters sort of protégés, which was really, really lovely because I got the inside track on it all. And it helped me to understand how all of these things fit together, you know, the great patchwork quilt of meditation and yoga and such techniques. To be able to appreciate them all for their own unique qualities, but also identify perhaps where some of the gaps were. Oh my God, I've got so many questions. Um, so out of all the people that you met, who do you think had the most profound impact and why? The family of Ayurvedic doctors in India who are considered to be, you know, the most revered. They just had so much integrity. And the head of that family, his name is Dr. Raju. When I met him, I was like, wow, you are the Don. And what I loved about him was he was super cheeky and mischievous, <laughs> even though he was this incredibly wise, you know, silver fox Indian doctor who on the surface just seemed like this very, very elevated being. But actually, as I got to know him more and more, yeah, he's just having a riot. <laughs> I love that. I love that because I think that, and I was actually going to kind of ask you the myths around meditation, but one of them, I think for me, is definitely kind of everyone's assumed that someone in meditation immediately turns super boring <laughs> and really pu puritanical. Yeah. And, and as a consequence, you know, maybe that's almost kind of unattractive. So it actually prevents people from exploring meditation because they're like, am I going to become boring? Yes. And actually, you've just proven that story, not at all. Myth. That's it. It's total myth. This whole idea that you're going to lose your edge mm. is really, I think, what it comes down to. I'm sure there are practices out there that perhaps do kind of do that. I mean, if you're doing a monastic practice, quite frankly, you are going to lose that side of yourself because monastic practices are there and developed for people who want to be far away from the world. And it does have that effect on you sometimes. But there were all of these other techniques. In fact, the original meditation techniques were for householders because monasticism came later. And that householder techniques make you much more engaged. And so it's a case of you lose your edginess, but you end up being sharper because you're mm. clearer in your mind and you're making better decisions and you're prioritizing better and you're more creative and much more graceful about the way that you interact with other people. And it actually helps you be much more engaged with life, but in a much more balanced way. And I think part of the perceptions we have of a, as a culture of what is fun is going out on a Friday night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I've certainly been there, so I know I've fully explored that whole world. And, yeah, it's great when you're younger, I guess, but there comes a point when it's just not fun anymore Agreed. and you're chasing the old highs and the hangovers are getting worse. Discovering something like meditation, which 
actually gives you your old vavavoom back and you've got much more vitality Mm. but you're also you're doing it if you're going drinking you kind of hang in the merry zone rather than hitting the oblivion button yeah you know you just make choices for yourself that genuinely bring you joy rather than perhaps you doing them just because that's the way you've been conditioned to live your life Right, I completely agree. So you founded Bija Meditation. Yeah. And this is a combination of all your travels. So did you kind of take a little bit from everyone to create your own practice? So actually the majority of it came from the ancient Vedic civilization of India. So although I went around the world, half of it ended up being in India because that is really actually the origin of perhaps 80% of the practices that are out there. But again, there were a few gaps and... um, I think because it developed in the Himalayas 10,000 years ago, there's a slightly different context to modern urban life. And so, yes, I've plucked bits from here and bits from there to put it together for beginners. And then as I take people on more and more of a journey, I start weaving in all of these other threads that feel very relevant. Because actually, underneath it all, it's a universal dynamic and you can join the dots and it's just using slightly different language and people having slightly different perspectives and emphasis. But once you've mastered a few of these disciplines, you can start to kind of weave it together in a very coherent way. And I like doing that because some traditions are very strong in certain areas, some are very strong in others. Making sure people understand that it is truly a universal experience because If you just go down one tradition only, you can become a little bit, well, my thing's better than your thing. And then everybody sort of slightly develops a spiritual arrogance, which is totally counter to the whole point of it. (laughs) Right. So Bija is something that you've now been teaching for the last nine years. Seven. Seven. Mm. And you have your own practice in in, in London. We're all about how to make 2020 better. Mm. So what are your top three tips for us to get into a meditation practice? Well, you've actually just made me think 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. That would be a good start. 2020, love that. 20 minutes of mindfulness in the morning and the evening. And then I guess find the technique that resonates with you get the strategy right first of all go around the houses do whatever you need to do so you're saying go try out lots of different types of meditation yeah and what kind of types out are out there well you can do eight week mindfulness courses you can do breath work techniques and there's lots of those these days um all going under different names you can come and get a mantra from someone like me which i definitely would recommend you make that one of your options because there are so many people who've tried so many things and they always say wow this is next level yeah but you've got to find what works for you i mean there's all sorts of random ones did you come across the orgasmic meditation one in your time i did actually yeah. i went did you wow interesting <laughs> I did. you're a brave I girl <laughs> i went to this introduction it's called om that's right in yes. the states yeah. and basically listeners um a woman in san francisco decided that orgasming should be as normal as doing yoga so she developed a orgasm meditation school anyway i went to this introduction talk in new york just to kind of understand it more it was definitely an experience i'm sure it was (laughs) we watched we watched 
this experience happened to somebody else um, so they could kind of explain the whole principles behind it. I can't say I went back, but it <laughs> was really interesting. I'm not sure if they're still going. but No, I think it's all collapsed in scandal, unfortunately. Right, but you're right. There's lots of different meditation techniques out there. Yeah, and not all of them require you to take your knickers off, so that's a good start. <laughs> Exactly. Going back to mantra meditation, yeah. why is that different? How does that make the meditation different? So it does it in a couple of things, uh, different ways. First of all, it generates a different physiological and neurological response because these sounds that you repeat in your mind, which have been allocated to you because it's going to be like, it's like your password that unlocks your energy and gets you into that very, very expansive state I was talking about earlier. It resonates with your brain in a way that you get complete coherence throughout your brain and that's very very rare and very precious and it causes your nervous system to de-excite into this hypometabolic state which means that your body can finally rest and repair properly because it's not in that adrenalized survival mode that we're all in every day so it has a very fast and high impact effect on you and also having a little mantra to work with means you've got something to bring you back to center when you're doing your meditation. Because if you're just using focus or something mm. like that, it just feels quite effortful. And I did really explore what the ancients were up to in lots of different cultures, and including India. And actually, when I looked into the most ancient forms of meditation from different parts of the world, they actually tended to be much more down the effortless route. Mm. And then at some point, and it seemed to start about 2,700 years ago, the practices started to become much more effortful. And then as time's gone on, that effortfulness has become almost a badge of honour. Yeah. And that's fine if you are the sort of person who likes to run Ironman challenges, but <laughs> if you're not, they're kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> so why not just go for the effortless ones? And so... You having the mantra just makes the whole thing so much more easy and smooth and sweet. So it's nicer to do and it just gives you more oomph when you do it. I have to say, I haven't tried Bija, but after that description, I am signing myself up this <laughs> evening for this. Amazing. Because I have definitely been a person to struggle. I really like guided meditations because I love storytelling and really helps with visualization. But this just seems something that you can do anywhere, anytime once you've learned it. Absolutely. That's the whole point. I mean, if you have to create this very special environment where you get your candles and your incense out and you get your mood music and you get <laughs> quiet and you turn down the lights, that can be very enjoyable. Mm. But is that going to be something that you can actually fit into your day every day and preferably twice a day because we have two sub rhythms in our circadian rhythm no unless you are willing to completely reorient your life around meditation it's not practical so why not just do a technique which you can do on the tube train bus plane park bench coffee shop yeah what do you mean by sub um the car sub rhythms yeah sub rhythms of the cargadian rhythm so basically we have various different rhythms um Females have a very obvious monthly rhythm, but all of us humans have a daily rhythm, which is kind of known about, you know, your melatonin starts being produced in the evening and then stops just after midnight and your liver does detoxing between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And your body wakes you up 
when it knows to wake you up if you're in rhythm and when to get the digestive juices going and so on and so forth. So it's like this amazing symphony of biological activations and neurochemical release happening for you all day, every day, just helping you try and stay in rhythm through your life. And actually within that, there are these two sub-rhythms. And so if you drop a meditation into each of those, there's harmony as well as rhythm. But A, most people aren't doing that. They're not bringing the harmony in, but they're also breaking their rhythms by looking at screens all day and by having lots of caffeine. And so as a result, our biology doesn't really, it's not in sync. We're like an orchestra that doesn't have a conductor and it's all slightly playing a bit out of tune. And then we don't feel quite ourselves and things aren't quite working. So then, of course, we seek more stimulants or maybe we get on the grog in the evening just to kind of numb ourselves because it feels more comfortable to be numb than it does to feel. But by numbing ourselves, we also numb ourselves from the joy. And then we wonder why we just don't have that spark we had when we were kids. Uh, Have you seen the film Call Me By Your Name? No. It's such a beautiful film. It was, I think, came out last year and there's this great, amazing scene in it where the main character has gone through a terrible heartbreak and the father sits down with him and says... Just keep your heart open because mm. what usually happens is you have one terrible heartbreak and then we all just numb for the rest of our lives. Yep. I mean, because I've developed this kind of heightened perceptual capability over the years, I mean, I can see anxiety, I see depression, I see insomnia, but I, more than anything, I just see this collective numbness. And it makes me really sad. It's actually the reason why I work so bloody hard because I just... I dream of the day that I can walk down the street in London and see the majority of people actually in a really good place. Mm-hmm. And once that day happens, I'll retire. But until that day, I'm just going to keep dishing out mantras as much as I can. I agree. And this is the thing. It's no one's fault that we're all kind of susceptible to numbing because we're just trying to survive and protect ourselves. Of course. I mean, these are dynamics that go back for all of human history. Yeah. You know, we have a fight or flight response that was there to help us survive on the savannah. And if we were still living that very simple existence, it'd be great, you know. Three hours of foraging in the morning and then just chill out and chat and <laughs> shag and gossip and play. I mean, it just sounds glorious. <laughs> Life is great. Yeah. What the fuck did we do? I know. What were we thinking? <laughs> Those people who discovered agriculture are such numpties. <laughs> so true. Um, what's the book you recommend the most and why? So if you want physics, Carlo Rovelli's um, Reality is Not What It Seems is an amazing place to start he's very much at the forefront because his predecessor i guess was a guy called brian green and he wrote something called the elegant universe which was amazing and spoke of the science at the time which was much more oriented towards something called string theory what is string theory sorry that the fundamental makeup of the universe is these very very faint and ultra ultra minuscule vibrations and each of those vibrations has a slightly different quality almost like a letter of the alphabet and that they come together and they they end up being the ones and zeros of the universe basically and although that is still potentially a theory there is this other theory that's much more credible now called quantum gravity and Carlo Rovelli is very much of the quantum gravity school now interestingly they also suggest that vibrations are at the heart of the universe so whichever way you cook it that's what we're looking at 
And for me, what I took away from it was the fact that I'd always known that there is this convergence between science and spirituality. And perhaps if I have time for it, one of my missions in my life will be to help join the dots between these two different knowledge bases and approaches and language sets. And when I'm teaching, I do a lot of that anyway, but there's still more to be done. And it was just yet another step on the journey for me towards convergence. And I suspect in the next 10 to 15 years, we'll see lots of very scientifically minded people who are probably a little bit somewhere between sceptical and cynical about meditation, getting on board with it. But also, if they want to go on a journey with a teacher who can basically unfold all of the secrets of the universe for them, you can help them understand all of these ancient insights which are basically saying the same stuff as the modern science and what i'm really keen to do is work with lots of advanced scientists who are who feel drawn to this because actually the ancients are could help us shortcut all of our scientific discoveries because it's all there it's all codified and that's what i learned in india all the knowledge is hidden in places you wouldn't believe and if you've got eyes to see it you've basically got the blueprint for the universe. But if you don't have eyes to see it, you don't even realise that's what's there. It's genius. Oh, I love this stuff. This is so up my street. I could honestly chat to you all day. I love this <laughs> uncovering the secrets of the universe. And it's so true. We got so stupid as human species. And now I think we're kind of going back to our very intelligent ancestors and going, you are right all along it's like when you know as children your your parents try and give you advice and you're like you do not know i need to go do this by myself and then suddenly you wake up and go oh they knew all along yes that's exactly (laughs) it and it's funny actually i mean we're brats we 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 have been acting like brats for quite a long time and this is what i want and i don't care about the environment and i don't really care about all those other people on the other side of the world because I want my hardwood furniture and I want this and I want that and I want to be able to eat my food from New Zealand and that's been flown in. And I'm trying not to be cynical myself because otherwise that made me a complete hypocrite. And I've done all of these things myself and I still, you know, I still fly to America and put lots of CO2 into the atmosphere. So I'm not exactly the ultimate paragon of perfect, pure living. But I try and minimise the hypocrisies if I can and I try and understand my impact and try and make sure that it's a net positive rather than an unwitting negative and i think that's really what's going on most of the negatives that are in the world it's unwitting people aren't even aware that they're having this impact or they've developed all of these strategies of dissonance and so on to create blind spots for themselves about the fact that they are behaving in ways which probably won't make them feel that great when they're on their deathbed well bj meditation is our solution indeed Will williams um so to finish um would you mind finishing my sentence haha i relax by obviously there's meditation but I'm, i want to get creative <laughs> how do i relax non i relax by just soaking up every moment of life and all of the vicissitudes of life and all of the interplay between all of the people and the movement and the world and the trees and I just find taking time out to tune in in that way gives me a vitality that then I can bring into my everyday experience in a way that just feels great. 
the person I love most in the world is? My dad. I would love to have dinner with. Can it be a dinner party? Yes. Excellent. Okay, let's... <laughs> and they have to be alive? No. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Well, John Lennon's going in there. Yeah. Oscar Wilde. Done. Let's also have some people from today. I'd love actually to have Brian Cox. I think he would be a dude. Yeah. I'm quite intrigued by Jennifer Lawrence, actually. She seems like she's just really good fun. <laughs> totally agree. Bring J-Law along as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, bring her along. I mean, what a mix. Um, and then I think, oh, definitely a bit of Einstein as well, because he actually was just super cool, as far as I can tell. His hair wasn't quite as cool, but, you know, he has complete privilege to do what he likes with his barnet. Best piece of advice I was given was? A friend of mine help me understand that the best thing you can do with your life is to help others help themselves. And that planted a seed that ultimately, I guess, fed into me becoming a meditation teacher. Before I go to sleep, I... I give some consideration to people in the world who haven't behaved in ways that I haven't found overly inspiring. And I think of a little chant I learned in India, which is all about bringing universal love and peace to the whole thing and I basically try and I use those challenges and the people that I feel most challenged by as like almost the stone that sharpens the knife to just develop my ability to feel love for everyone and everything. When I'm feeling insecure I? I really try and feel it more. I actually just sit with myself and I really feel into my body and I just won't allow myself to go into any hiding places because I want to transmute that vulnerability into a real strength and a real a total honesty and authenticity and a willingness to accept I'm not perfect I probably will never be perfect and to own everything that's I've experienced and that I've done and just make my peace with all of that. If you really knew me, you would know. How much I care. Oh, well, thank you so much. This was such a beautiful interview. I I've, agree entirely. I've learned so much. I'm very inspired. I've got lots of nuggets to take away. Well, how do we find you? Um, what is your socials, website? How do we find Bija Meditation? Cheryl? Thank you. So bejameditation.com is the website and you can have a little perusal there. And how do you spell that? So it's B-E-E-J-A. Cool. Meditation.com. Beja Meditation, I think, should be most of the social handles. Yep. And then, obviously, in the App Store, there is something that's not called Happy, not Perfect. <laughs> and it's called it's, Beja Meditation. <laughs> you can have both, guys. Exactly. You have to exactly. Both. We're gamified therapy. You're Beja Meditation. You there can, you go. Both is good. Exactly. This is part of what I'm trying to teach is actually take a multifaceted approach to your development. Agreed. It's not just headspace. It's not just calm. It's not, no, it's, and because so many different things work for you and Bija meditation is very unique and something I'm dying to get involved in. Exactly. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank Can't you wait very for much. our next chat and, um, and see you soon. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. 
You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,